Welcome to the RSP Cast. I'm Mount Waldman, creator of the Rookie Scouting Portfolio. This week, let's continue the fantasy football conversation and talk about advice for setting lineups. How does one get better with weekly sit starts? What resources are out there? How do I manage weekly start sits? And how does it tie into my personnel decisions with the draft, with trades, waiver wire? First, if you haven't gotten your 2022 Rookie Scouting Portfolio, head over to mountwaldman.com where you can download the complete pre-draft post-draft package for $21.95. And you get a combined 1,124 pages filled with scouting reports, draft history, ADP data, football knowledge, fantasy players, media, former NFL players, and personal people in the league, and Division I football have routinely told me how much they've learned about the skillful players from this publication and how it leads them to think of concepts or ideas in a different way. Um, I get emails like this regularly, but I thought I'd share one. And this is from Mitchell, a regular subscriber to the RSP package, talking about his fantasy draft and the RSP post draft, especially the cheat sheets. He said, Mr. Waldman, I just want to reach out again. And by the way, you can call me mad <laughs> and let, let you know how much I appreciate your pre and post draft RSPs. With the RSP in hand, I just finished my Dynasty League's first four-round rookie draft, a super flex league with tight end premium 1.5 PPR scoring, and wanted to share my experience with you. I used last year's startup draft and some recent trades to stockpile 11 picks for this year, four rounds with 12 picks each. Your trade value section and your article, The Gut Check, the one trade advice article you need to read, were both a huge help with this, by the way. I parlayed my 1.05 pick into a trade for Nick Chubb and the 2.06, which I got Isaiah Spiller, and the 2023 round two pick. My trading partner then used the 1.5 on Drake London. In all, he managed to trade his way into having five of his first nine picks in our draft and took Walker at 1.02 plus four of the top wide receivers. He's now trying to trade two of them for quarterback help but has no takers. Doing the math on your over-under X calculations, what I do with my RSP cheat sheet is I look at ADP, I compare it to my post-draft rankings, and I give you a, an X value that gives you the difference between where they're getting picked um, and where I rank them so that you can find that sweet spot of of where to pick those players. And he said, so doing the math on your over, under X calculations, your sweet spot rankings, I was surprised how dead on you were there. You nailed seven players exactly, um, including Williams, McBride, Shakir, Tolbert, um, Carson Strong, Batty, and Jelani Woods, and 11 more went within three spots of your X value. Um, tracking everyone's rookie picks against your post-draft cheat sheet, I discovered, fortunately for me, that none of my competitors bought the RSP. That took a lot of pressure off of me, and I was more confident cherry-picking my players each round. In addition to trading for Chubb to pair with Derrick Henry, I also picked up extra free agent um, allotment cash and the following players. And he wound up with James Cook, Alec Pierce, Isaiah Spiller, Matt Corral, Khalil Shakir, Justin Ross, Skylar Thompson, Isaiah Pacheco, um, he said he's a homer because he's a Rutgers alum, and Carson Strong late. My team's pretty well stacked now at each position, and I hold 10 picks in 2023. And by the way, that's a good draft class coming up, it looks like. 
which I'll leverage to trade up for a top quarterback if you decide to get one. Thanks for your assistance, Mitch. So, you know, just giving you an example of what, you know, people value from it, that X value really does help you navigate through a draft, a rookie draft, and Mitch really used that to his advantage as well as leveraging the other resources in terms of how to make trades, you know, what to negotiate for. I, I give a trade chart in there. I give some links to Dan Hendry's trade work at Football Guys. And, you know, that's all very helpful. And you can get this and, you know, everything else in that RSP package for $21.95 at mountwaldman.com. And take pride in the fact that your purchase allows me to contribute a portion of the proceeds to Darkness to Light, which is an organization that protects children through educational programs for adults. The RSPs donated over $50,000 to D2L.org during the past decade, thanks in part to you. So you can check out D2L.org to find out what they're about. Um, it's a wonderful cause, and, and be thankful that you know some of your money's going their way and you're getting a great fantasy product and football product. So back to this week's topic. How does one get better with weekly start sits? What resources are out there? How do I manage my weekly start sits? And, how does it tie into personnel decisions with the draft, trades, and waivers? Now, last week I said I played in six leagues. One of them disbanded. Um, I actually play in five these days, as you can see. And last week I shared some of the common strategies that my winning team builds shared for dynasty leagues. Um, now, taking a look at these teams again, in the you know while thinking about this question about managing lineups. It's not so coincidental that my best teams and some of the best teams in the leagues I play in have the highest efficiency of possible points scored per week. In fact, that seems to be a bigger deal than actual win-loss record, which we know that scheduling is, is crazy and with point variations, you want to be a consistently high-scoring team. And what underpins that is that you're making good lineup decisions. So when I took a look at some of these teams, for instance, my first dynasty squad that had a championship um, this past year and two out of the past three years with it, as well as making the championship three out of the past four. Last year, that championship team only had an eight and six regular season record. I was the fifth best in the league. I didn't even win my division, but my lineup efficiency, the points scored versus what I could have scored with the ideal lineup was 89.6%. So my, I was, you know, I got the ideal picks for my lineups, 89.6% of the, of the possibilities there. So that was tops in the league. The next best team in our league had an 86.3 efficiency. And the average for the league was 82.75%. So my team, although eight and six, was 7% more efficient than the league average was setting the correct lineup. That's very important. And my other team that won the championship, the Football Guys Staff IDP Dynasty League um, from last year, that I only had a seven and six record there, and that was fourth best in the league. My efficiency wasn't the best, but it was 80.2%, um, which was still above the league average in a scoring system where there was not only a high number of starters, like other IDP leagues, which means there's more variation, more room for error because of the number of players you have to pick for the lineup. But it's also a performance scoring league for IDP that gives a lot of value to big plays. 
So it makes managing lineups even more challenging because there's greater variation in scoring each week based on how, you know, what some of these defensive players do. Um, but that 80.2% rating was sixth best, but only six tenths of a percent lower than the third most efficient team. So really, you know, there wasn't much separating the sixth best, uh, sixth most efficient um, fantasy manager from the third best most efficient, third most efficient um, fantasy manager. So um, there were four teams in the league with efficiencies two percent to six percent lower than mine um, in that league. But you get the point that you know what you're going to start to see, and what I I believe is that your 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 ultimate goal is to be somewhere between ninety. If you can be ninety percent and over, and with your lineup efficiency, you're really doing great, um, and you're likely going to be ahead of most of your competition. With um, you know, in terms of maximizing points and probably being one of the better teams in your league, if you can get to eighty-five to ninety percent, you're probably still going to be in that range, depending on how difficult the league is. If you're if you're in a league with a lot of a lot of um, lineup options like a full IDP league with performance type scoring then probably 80 to 85 percent is what you're shooting for if it's a smaller lineup allotment then 85 to 90 is what you're probably going to be shooting for but you want to be over 80 percent regardless of any league I think that that's probably a baseline you want to be looking for um, so you know, another team, I'm in a startup league from two years ago, Football Diehards Dynasty League. Sirius XM host Mike Dempsey, who I'm, you, you know, I'm off and on with him and Bob Harris. Mike's a great guy and a very good fantasy player. Uh, Mike had a 26-2 and record in that league, winning the championship. And with that full IDP component and the performance scoring, his, his efficiency was 85.7, pretty pretty awesome. It was the second best out of 32 teams. Now to give um, a relative comparison, my squad was a playoff squad, but it was an incomplete team at this point. I, I slow built going for stockpile with linebacker and wide receiver was like one of my worst positions. Um, so I didn't even expect to reach the playoffs, but I did. And part of it was because I posted a an efficiency of 80.6% despite lacking quality starting receivers. Um, so that's a, you know, again, that 80% minimum. You get to that 80% and you're likely going to be in the playoffs. You get to 85, you're likely contending for a title or you're, you're going to be one of the better teams. Um, you know, a team in my industry league had a 91.9% um, efficiency percentage with a bunch of different writers of the league, and he won 13 and one in that league. Mine was 86.7, fourth best, and I I lost my second playoff game um, in that you know during that session. So I w I went to the semis, didn't make it further. Um, Dynasty startup where I was third in points scored, um, I was second in efficiency with 86.2 percent, the average. Efficiency was 81.4%. Again, I lost in the semis. Um, so you get the point. It's a very important skill to be efficient with start-sits. And it begins with your drafts. Whether it's redraft or dynasty, your draft is important. And the easiest way to make your lineups more efficient is to front-load them with players who earn a lot of touches and targets. A lot of this is going to be common sense, but it's good to remind 
or package a lot of these common sense things you think of into a subject like this. So, you know, you're not always going to have the opportunity to build teams with Patrick Mahomes, Jonathan Taylor, Keenan Allen, and Travis Kelsey as your anchors. I mean, you know, they can happen in Dynasty. That's one of my Dynasty teams with its anchor players. But still, you want players who can perform in a high-volume role. doesn't mean they're doing so right now, but that their skill sets give them the potential to do that. So that means placing the priority on players who you draft early, who earn a lot of touches in a lot of different ways, as well as later on with players who are capable of earning a lot of touches in a lot of different ways, if they get the opportunity to do so. So here are some suggested factors to consider. Um, and again, this is a lot of common sense, but still helpful to package it all into you know, one conversation. First thing I would say is learn the difference between matchup players and scheme players. Now these are the terms I use, but let me define. Matchup players are performers who win in one-on-one -on -one situations. They're the guys that can beat pretty much, they're the receivers or tight ends who can win against man-to-man -man coverage, even against top cornerbacks. They don't need a special play drawn up to get them into open space. Um, they create the separation even when they're dealing with one-on-one -on -one situations. Or if they're a runner, for instance, they create open space um, when they have boxes that are stacked with more than seven defenders. Or def defenses send run blitzes or get early penetration. They turn potential losses into gains or turn potential losses into minimal losses. You know, if they're, if, you know, if a defender penetrates five yards in the backfield and this and if the running back can't find a solution he's going to get tackled for a six or seven yard loss but he's able to do enough to turn it into a one yard loss that's skill okay as opposed to being a guy who takes a lot of losses that should have been at least minimal or decent gains like one or two yard gains or or four or decent gains like three to five yard gains and they, you know, they're able to do that as opposed to someone who takes a lot of losses and then occasionally through a big hole they have the speed to get a 70-yard touchdown. While that's obviously helpful to you, it's harder to predict. And, and it's one of those things that you would rather have guys who can do both, but if you have to choose one or the other, especially in the higher rounds, you know, the earlier rounds, you want to take guys who are going to consistently get you yardage. Um, so scheme, you know, for example of that, you know, would be like Ezekiel Elliott and Tony Pollard. Okay, now Tony Pollard is does a lot more than what I'm about to state. He's a talented running back who, if he gets an opportunity to be the man somewhere, I think he can he could probably be more of a matchup player. But he's used much more as a scheme player in Dallas, and so you often get praise from fans who are saying. Um, you know, he's so good, we, you know, and they'll go too far and say that he's better than Ezekiel Elliott and that Elliott shouldn't really even be playing anymore and, or, or whatever crazy stuff you hear from football fans. But as good as Pollard is, right now, the praise is often coming from highlights on screenplays, draws, um, you know, any type of schemed play into space. Whereas Elliot often has to 
he gets dumped on when he's actually earning really good plays against um, stack boxes, run blitzes, plays that just basically get broken at the line of scrimmage that he has to create. Um, and so while Pollard gets more of the highlight value type of plays per touch, oftentimes, it's a lot of it is because of the usage and how defenses are playing that offense and what they're expecting. Elliott is still a very good player, and he's a good example of being a matchup player. Scheme players who work in open space are guys like tight end Noah Fant or Tevin Coleman or Elijah Mitchell, guys who can generate big plays for you, but there's only so many times an offense can get away with some of the plays that they run before the teams shut them down or that there's a lot of plays that go for minimal yardage and it was within the player's control to do a little bit more if they had more skills to their game. Um, others just also for, it means that they end up with an outcome that's more boom-bust in efficiency. And the same is true for vertical game receivers, for instance. You know, if a player's known for his vertical game or his contested catches in the vertical game, but not really known for short and intermediate route running against man-to-man -man coverage. If he can't beat man-to-man -man coverage on shorter plays, they're generally going to have a high boom-bust profile. Um, Deshaun Jackson is a, an example of a guy who is a, was a terrific matchup player for most of his career, but due to his injuries and his age, the, the usage that's given to him now when he joins a team, it makes him more of a schemed player in terms of usage. So for what it's worth, sometimes you're going to label guys more on their usage patterns and how they're used in the offense as opposed to what their actual skill capabilities are. And you want to account that, you want to use age as an account for that because Jackson was a terrific wide receiver in the NFL. It's just that now teams kind of know with his size, with the injuries, his age, they want to limit his touches to what he does best. Now, this doesn't mean that you want to avoid scheme players in your lineups. It just means that you need to take care of how, or, or take credence of how many you draft, when you draft them, and how you intend to use them in your lineups. Because if you're going to use a guy weekly, if you're drafting a guy early and you're thinking, this is the guy I'm going to use as my starter weekly, and he's a boom-bust player, maybe his highs are high enough to, to really put you over the top in good weeks, but you may have to ride out some of the lows. And, and you know, I've often written about player consistency in terms of, you know, showing you how, um, when you look in hindsight, that players who have more consistent week-to-week -week baselines where, like, say if you're saying the baseline is 15 points a week for a running back, that you want guys who can give you that baseline each week over guys who may be high low but in terms of you know really playing out with the numbers consistency can be a bit of an overrated or even a myth um, because you know as Adam Harstead football guys writer who and friend of mine who I would highly recommend looking at his work and I'm going to share more of that when it comes to resources a little bit later in this podcast you know Aaron has often shown that if you have a boom-bust team versus a consistent team, the boom-bust team can score as many points by the end of the year. You're not really, the, the goal isn't to win games, it's to win championships. So if you can ride out the boom-bust play, you're often going to wind up um, statistically having as good of a record 
as teams that aren't as boom bust. The issue is it, you've got to stay, you got to keep playing these guys consistently and ride out the highs and the lows. Saquon Barkley, while I think is is actually a matchup player in skills, um, has a bit of a scheme-based profile in terms of his outcomes a lot because of the quality of the offensive line that he plays behind, the, the lack of quarterback play that's consistently good, and as a result, you see a lot of games with him where he has huge numbers, and then he has multiple games with lower numbers. Um, you know, numbers that would just be an absolute bust for you that week. Um, so he's a player you got to know. You, you got to stick in every week and ride out. Or if you're going to get cute and take him in and out of your lineup, you have to have some really good reasons rooted in in a process that that has proven has bared fruit. You know, in terms of you know the types of matchups that he's facing with a defense and how schematically that defense is going to do a good job of being able to stop Barkley. Not the stats, the scheme. That's a different thing. We're going to get more into that in a little bit too. Um, now you don't have to, you know, for me what I would recommend is with boom-bust players before your drafts, label guys who are more boom-bust. You know, guys who are just known as being vertical receivers like Brashad Perriman or Deshaun Jackson at this stage of his career or, you know, before he got arrested and put into jail, Henry Ruggs. You know, guys like that who, you know, they're making their living off of maybe they're getting targeted five to six times and many of them, or maybe even, they could even be targeted eight to ten times, but a, a large percentage of those targets are on, um, you, you know, low outcome plays, you know, basically deep shots, contested targets, where if they hit one or two, it could, do, it could help the offense dominate the game. But if they don't hit those one or two, then you're not going to see a lot of production from that player. You know, you see a lot of four for 40 or six for 120 in their box score. It's like one or the other, but it's not, you know, seven for 80. 11 for 95, you know, in terms of, you know, what the box score looks like. So label those guys. See how many you're labeling and see where they're rated in ADP. And then you can start to see, you, you know, for me, what I would recommend, and this goes in maybe alongside with what Adam often talks about, which is when the ADP of a player um, drops below, when the player's value drops below his ADP, that's a good time to get him, to leverage him. Regard, you know, he does it just blindly because he's it readily admits I don't watch film, I don't study football, I just I study the numbers, and when I study the numbers, you know, this is what I found is that I've had success picking players on that level. Now, if we pair that with some football knowledge, what I would recommend is do what Adam does, which is look at the ADP, and but you know, have these players marked before your draft. And if you have a boom-bust player who falls below ADP, that might be okay to pick him. You know, start looking at, looking, at, um, looking at how far they fall. You know, if you get a boom-bust player who falls a round or two, maybe two rounds below his ADP, that would be a perfect time to get a boom-bust player, um, who, you know, at that point. Especially if it's inside the first six to eight rounds of your draft, or even the first eight to ten rounds. Um, Whereas, you know, if you're picking a, a, a boom-bust player at their value, 
then you might want to be careful about how many of them you pick because you don't want to stack your lineup with a bunch of boom and bust players if you don't have to. Now, you know, maybe there's a, maybe Adam would look at this and maybe if you look at the data, maybe it shows that the guys who have big weeks have them at times when other guys have bad weeks and that makes up, you know, and it can compensate. Maybe, I'm sure that happens in a percentage of lineup opportunities where you'd run a simulation or an actual study, but I'd say if you want to get better at lineups, you want to get more, I would say you'd still look for the players who can be most consistent and and make sure that you have some players that if you that if you're going to open yourself up to more of that boom bust option, you know, limit it to a handful of players for on your team as opposed to filling your team with a bunch of guys like that. Um, so just being more conscious about it helps you also look at football and understand football in a different in a way so that you can have the how you're watching football translate to how you're looking at your team and how you're evaluating players in terms of your draft plan. Um, so, you know, guys, what I would be looking for, say, for instance, um, at running back, I'm looking for guys who can earn a solid, solid percentage of their carries between the tackles while also earning targets as receivers. Um, so guys like Alvin Kamara and Austin Eckler are good examples of players who can run inside. They do a good job of running inside, and they get enough touches inside that they're not just space players. They're just not just scat backs. Um, you know, a guy like DeAndre Swift, you could look, he's not necessarily that guy. He's not on their level as an inside runner. He's not awful, but he's, he's, a, he's a step below Kamara and Eckler as a, in terms of his ability between the tackles. He may get, continue to grow and get better. But he gets, he's performed well because Detroit's been down in situations and by a certain amount that defenses are going to play, scheme their defense in a way where there's going to be a lot of underneath targets available for Swift because it's the easy way to, for the Lions to move the ball. The defense is giving that up because they want the team to dink and dunk down the field. And as a result, you know, Swift is going to be in a really good position there because they didn't have great receivers to threaten the deep regions or win one-on-one -on -one, um, well enough against man-to-man. -man. So you could, have, you could play zone, force Detroit to have to move the ball over the course of a longer period of time and make per more protracted dink-and-dunk plays. That plays into using Swift. So he's a good example of, again, understanding scheme, understanding what the defense is trying to do, understand the weakness of the offense and how that will lead to what the defense will do and give up and who benefits from that. That's why DeAndre Swift played as well as he did. It's not that he's a bad player, but he probably wouldn't have been as good if you put him in the Chargers offense where they're in it every, you know, maybe they're winning games more often, you know. I don't know, be maybe that's not a good comparison, but there's some other teams, like say the Browns. If he was, if DeAndre Swift were in Cleveland, he would have a little bit of a different profile, I think, as a runner, because they depend a lot on good inside running, even with the passing game that they had to their backs like Chubb and Hunt. Um, speaking of those guys, you want running backs who also are capable of, 
of the the tack, you know, working between the tackles um, and earning targets as receivers, but also are capable of um, having the opportunity to do that if injuries occurs. Meaning that they may not do it right now um, at the level you want, but if an injury occurs, they will be the man. You know, for instance, Chubb we know is a at least a high-end running back to every year because even though everyone bemoans the fact that he doesn't earn the touches you'd like to get say Jonathan Taylor would get because if he got Jonathan Taylor's touches I'm telling you as good as Jonathan Taylor is Nick Chubb would be a 2,000 yard rusher in the NFL and I'm not talking in 17 games I'm talking in 15 or 16 games if they literally let that horse run but they're not doing that because they've got Kareem Hunt and they want to spare Chubb and use him wisely and lengthen his career, I think. But Chubb and Hunt are two examples. One gets hurt, the other one plays. That could be, that's really good. And I know Dearness Johnson is there and there's going to be other guys that get some looks, but you, you see what I'm saying. They will be the lead man. Khalil Herbert is a good example of a backup who, you know, he could do it all. He knew he could catch. He knew he was a good inside runner. He knew he had outside zone speed. And while Damian Williams was the guy supposedly to split time with Herbert, once Herbert got on the field and played as well as he did, they gave the majority of touches to Herbert during that time that David Montgomery was out. And that's the type of thing you want to look for. You don't know whether a guy like Herbert's going to get those touches, but you know he has the ability to do so. That's why reading scouting reports on players and, and reading about, you know, what they're good at. Are they good enough to be complete players, um, you know, in a lineup and not just, you know, scheme matchup guys? That's important. Quarterbacks who lack a ground game. That's a good example of another one where, you know, whether they lack a ground game um, or the defense they lack and, um, you know, the and or they don't, and they can't, I'll only rephrase that, I got a little tongue tied. You want quarterbacks whose teams either lack a ground game or they lack a defense so that they cannot lean on the run in the second half of games when they have leads. You know, the, the more that the team is dependent on the passing game to win, the better off you are. Pretty much everyone knows that with quarterbacks. So, again, pretty obvious. Wide receivers. This is the one that I think people forget. Wide receivers and tight ends. You want guys who can be targeted on timing routes in the middle of the field. Slants, curls, um, certain, um, you know, skinny posts. Um, you, you know, certainly over routes are fine. Crossing routes are fine, too. Um, but you want to see dig routes, you know, comebacks. Um, you know, even for some perimeter routes like the out, the deep out, you know, those those types of stop routes in the middle of the field. Guys who get time timing routes like that, where they're winning against tight coverage and all over the field, those guys are the ones that you want to place a little bit of a higher priority on because it makes them um, resistant to less less prone to being shut down by defenses that can play a scheme well or play certain plays well. So, you know, it's nothing, there's nothing wrong with having players who can win on RPOs and vertical shots. But if the RPO game gets shut down by a defense, 
or the vertical gate gets shut down by a good cover corner or safety safety's shading over the top and those players aren't targeted inside the numbers or on timing routes one-on-one, -on -one, then you get that boom-bust effort from them. So again, it's important from, from my perspective, these are things that you can start with. The running backs who can run inside as well as make plays outside and get enough touches to do so. Run, reserves who you know can run every route inside and outside if they're given the chance to do so. Running backs who can play inside and outside when given the chance to do so, and um, you know, understanding, you know, understanding those types of things. Those are low-hanging fruit that you can take advantage of. So when you examine your lineups, and we're going to get to that in a minute, you can understand these are some things that you can fix right away to make immediate gains. Resources for getting better. Adam Harstead is the guy I'm going to recommend at Football Guys. He does some really fine studies that highlight philosophical questions on, say, maybe a singular isolated subject and then considers it from a more macro view. He has an article on Derrick Henry or Ezekiel Elliott from, I think, this past spring. That's a really good example. He gets into the importance of, you know, time, the value of timing in, in terms of point, when the points arrive, the number of teams that make the playoffs on your team. He runs the numbers to show you the variables um, one must manage to consider between a shooting star last year like Henry, who gets points in half of the season and then is gone for the rest of the year, versus a consistent producer all year long like Elliot. And, and so he does that. He has a great in-season article called Regression Alert. And, you know, for example, five things he focused on, you know, during the season that was really cool were what regression really is, why yards per carry is noise. What yard to touchdown, you know, yard to touchdown ratios and why they're the most powerful regression target in football that no one talks about. Tricks on how to tell when a new stat measures what you think it measures. Small edges in terms of managing lineups and how they become big edges when you exploit them over and over again. That's another good point. So check out Adam Harstead. That would be my recommendation to you um, in terms of someone that if you want to get a more um, statistical, you know, macro view of certain topics that people often use as cliches when they give fantasy advice in this industry. Adam really explores those well, and Adam is a good fantasy player. Um, I have I've certainly faced him in redraft leagues, and he usually has one of the stronger teams. While he hasn't. He'll, he'll tell you he hasn't won a championship in those leagues yet, I don't think. Um, you know, he certainly has been one of the most competitive, and he drafts well, and he, you know, I would say he is usually the one of the least fun players to match up against in the staff leagues that I, that I face, because I always know that he's going to have a good team. Um, so he can, he might be the most fun in that sense, but you know, you know what I mean. You may, if you have a lot of bi players on a bye week, that's not the team you you know you want to be facing. Um, let's talk about waivers. You know, when you're taking players off waivers, I often see fantasy players get hung up on the huge huge point values from the week before, and they want to be first in on it because at the end of the day, a lot of fantasy players are just guessing. So 
they they see the huge point values from one week, invest a ton, and hope that they hit it right. You know, and even you'll hear fantasy, um, you know, writers talk about it in this way because at the end of the day, you know, they're they're talking about the luck factor, you know, or they're riding that luck factor. But to me, you want to make sure that. You don't want to invest a ton on players hoping they become the next league winner without really knowing enough about their games, you know. And sometimes you're, you know, when people go through waiver wires, like Sigmund Bloom does a great job with the waiver wire. I've written that thing for a few years before Bloom did. Um, you know, Bob Henry did it before that. Um, Jeff, you know, there were a number of guys who did it before that, but you know, who were ex excellent fantasy players. Um, if you don't read, you know, when you look at those reports, there's only so much we can write. And sometimes they're about what happened in the game, you know. To me, what's more important is when you have an opportunity, learn what the player's game is about. Can you research what the player does well and what they don't do well to inform your decision? You know, reading, this is where scouting reports can be valuable, even from two to three years ago. If you, oftentimes, players don't grow that much to where they're vastly different. Sometimes it happens, but not enough that you want to go, well, that was a college scouting report. Go find some college scouting reports that you trust. Now, obviously, I sell mine, you know, and I would I would feel really strongly about mine, and I think you would, you know, most of my readers would agree that's this, you know, that that's really the resource you want. But there are other ones out there that people do great work, you know, whether you look at Dane Brugler's or Lance Irvine's work, you know, Chad Ryder anybody you know out there from that angle and you can you know you can see what they do well don't do well and that may help you understand whether they fit the type of players I'm talking about or whether they just exploited a hole in the defense or a situation and had a big week that is unlikely to happen again um, so you know to me you know when I don't want you to avoid players who are boom bust but you just may not want to break the bank on. Don't value them as highly. You know, speedster running backs who make one big play to generate their points, who are known in scouting reports for being boom bust, probably don't want to make them your league winner, blow all your FAAB on these guys. You know, research over rankings is more important. You know, there are hundreds of good analysts out there who offer strong advice, but instead of recommending someone specifically on you know rankings week to week you know you know football guys I certainly will recommend them but you know I'm I'm a full-time employee here what am I going to tell you you know I'm biased I think it's one of the best sites out there if not the best um, there's a lot of great people who do fine work for many many years who've seen who've been through this industry from the beginning you know Sigmund Jason Wood Bob Henry Aaron Nicky John Norton um, you know, a lot of great folks there. So, certainly worthwhile, you can check that out. But what I think is more important for you than just leaning on, I'm going to listen to Sigmund and Marl Tremblay, you know, this week on their rankings. More important than that is pinpointing where you're good or bad. So what I would recommend you do is go back to your past year ranking. Go back to your, pre your leagues. And you can go search previous years in your league sites and look up your weekly lineup decisions. Spend an afternoon doing this or a weekend. Find which positions where you were the most or least efficient over the past three to five years. 
separate them by PPR or non-PPR so that you can kind of see, you know, differentiate those, differentiate between leagues with minimal flexes or no flexes with multiple flex leagues because there's more variation in terms of decisions. You know, if you have multiple flexes, if you have like three to five flexes in your lineup, well, choosing between a certain running back and a certain receiver is definitely more difficult than choosing between, you know, who your running back two was out of a, a, a pool of running backs, you know. So I would start with the least flexes first because that's where you you can start looking at position by position. If you're starting to go across positions to try and compare, um, that can be worthwhile, but I think you should do the apples to apples first, if you know what I mean. So once you determine where, where, where you're strong or weak, consider what your errors are centered around. Are you drafting scheme-based or boom-bust options as starters, you know, in the early to mid-rounds when you were better off with a matchup player? You know, that's something that you might want to go back and look at. You can go back and look at your drafts and see where the better, you know, who was a better matchup player. Where, like, if you picked a scheme player and you could see that it was costing you two to three games or three to five games or even four to six games, you know, during the year, go back to the draft and see who you pick, who you could have taken instead of that guy within the same round and see how many of them are scheme-based players instead and then start to realize that maybe you should take the scheme-based player instead of the boom-bust option. Um, you know, another thing is were you relying on players who weren't clear-cut starters or earning consistent touches weekly? Were you did you overvalue Naeem Hines because you thought he had some good games last year towards the end of the season and or a certain run of the season? You didn't trust Jonathan Taylor and people telling you that he was going to be, you know, the main guy. And you felt like the PPR option for, you know, Hines was going to be a big deal. I mean, it's not a great example, but you get my book. You know, what I'm getting at here is that Guys who maybe be more role players than you expected. You know, pinpoint that. See if you have a penchant for picking up role players more than actual starters. Um, and, and you're picking some of those players too early in your drafts. Are you starting players immediately who had hot waiver wire weeks and you're starting them ahead of a valued contributor? Sometimes that happens. I see people who saw that Yakeem Grant had a 35 point week off of like two big plays and now you're thinking I'm going to take I'm going to start him over Juju Smith-Schuster because Smith-Schuster's had a couple of six point efforts you know and then next thing you know for the next two weeks you've taken a goose egg or gotten two to three points out of Grant and you know Smith-Schuster would have helped you win those two games you know um you know, so understand, you know, again, you want to understand talent, scheme, usage. If, if the player has talent that's versatile, they're in a scheme where they're going to be used in a versatile way, um, then if they have bad weeks, you know, are you overreacting by taking someone who had a huge week and putting them immediately in the lineup? Um, are you drafting players who are playing through injuries or starting players who are playing through injuries. 
and that wasn't hampering them more than they let on. Those are some easy kind of low-hanging fruit things to look at. Other things that I would just recommend, you know, before we wrap this up is I wouldn't overvalue analyst rankings of units week to week. You know, when people, when sites rank defenses or statistically rank defenses and say, okay, the Cleveland Browns run defense is 18th in the league versus, you know, a New York Giants run offense that's 30, you know, that's 29. You know, looking at rankings can be a helpful, like, surf, superficial level understanding of are they facing a good or bad defense in a certain phase of the game. But the, instead of just basing your your um, lineup decisions on something like that, I would drill down further. And I would look at the individual performances of players at the position you're considering against those defenses that year. Now, and you should determine whether those units are giving up points to specific roles. So for instance, a team could be really good against the pass, a defense could be really good against the pass, and they shut down receivers, but you notice that the slot receivers actually tend to do really well against that defense, and that they're consistently giving you fantasy value. Even players in the slot who aren't good fantasy players go off on that week, even though that defense is a strong defense statistically. That's a good sign that maybe you should be looking at that, at the uh, receiver on your team who has that similar type of profile for that and maybe not go against starting him because of what the, the unit rankings say. You know, for instance, you might even want to drill down further. You might realize that it's not just slot receivers who do really well. It's a specific type of slot receiver. Maybe it's the short, ultra quick, you know, super fast slot guy like a Kadarius Tony, you know, or a Tyreek Hill, you know, someone who plays inside, outside, but a lot of their inside work, they're getting deep passes up the seams, and they can exploit defenses for their speed. Nicole Hardman, you know, are they having big weeks? Versus maybe your bigger slot receivers like Michael Thomas, who are slower, but are having mediocre to bad numbers, you know, or it's vice versa, big big physical slot receivers who win contested catches and win up the zone, but aren't really great one-on-one, um, -on man-to-man um, winners deep. You know, they don't have great speed. Maybe those are the ones who are winning. Look for those things. Look for the commonalities. Bat, you know, big bats who have good cutback ability or shifty, patient runners who, you know, or... Or maybe it's the, you know, maybe it's a team, teams consistently give up a big play to a speedy back, speedy outside zone runners, you know. And you know that at worst, you know, you might have, this may not be something you want to lean on every week, but maybe you're in a tough lineup spot and you understand that you're going to have to try and get points from somewhere. And maybe your options are limited enough that now you got to look at, you know, a a player on your team who normally you wouldn't start, but they are speedy, they can make a break a big play, and they're facing a defense that tends to give up that one big play a game to um, you know teams running backs who play in a scheme like outside zone. So that or they're they're 
they are bad in the two-minute drill. Um, and they give up a lot of points in the two-minute drill to passing down backs. So maybe a Jalen Richard somehow becomes more valuable to you than taking a chance on a guy who's only going to give you three to five touches in a game um, and maybe give you one good run out of that. So those are things that I, I would look at. Um, you know, um, look for the track record of touches and targets that were ascending before the break, breakout game. So if you're picking up a player off the waiver wire, considering it, look for those touches first. You know, look to see if they've had some touches beforehand. Did they just come in and suddenly they were awesome? doesn't mean not to take the guy, but it may mean that it's not going to be as safe of a, uh, of a prospect for you as if you see that he's at least getting two to three and then it's going to four to five touches, it's going to six to seven touches, and there's been some track record of that the coaches are beginning to trust this guy. You know, um, As far as your process, you know, as you start to develop a process like this, trust it, okay? Trust it over other fantasy analysts giving you late suggestions based on what you saw on Twitter or what you saw at the site. You know, um, you know, unless their advice is specific enough that it explains how what they're looking at fits with what your process is and you overlook something or something that your process should have accounted for um, and, and it doesn't. Otherwise, trust what you do because you want to keep track of how you're doing and see your progress and see whether you're overrating or underrating something. And when you start to get granular, granular like this with some of the things I suggested, it'll become more apparent what you missed and what you didn't when it comes to lineup decisions. Another thing I would say is narrow the field of people you, you listen to and read. I mean, you can do it for entertainment, that's fine. And there's a lot of great people out there, and I, you know, there's so many people that you can follow and look at, but when it comes to lineup decisions, maybe you should, if you're having trouble, that's really where I'm suggesting this, if you're having trouble. If you don't, listen to whoever you want. I mean, you, you've got your process down, you've got a good frame of reference for what these people do, probably, so you're in good shape. But if you are having trouble, pick two to three weekly rankers or matchup analysts and track what they do and how they offer suggestions. You know, you want to study, keep an eye on them enough to see where they err. Are they, do they err on the, on the side of athletes who make highlight, splashy highlight plays? Um, or are there certain stats that they just always are leaning on? Or is it a film-related material based on actual football and maybe they err on the side of, you know, great technique over actual that you know opportunities you know um, do you want to you know or surrounding talent maybe the player has great technique great skills but their surrounding talent kind of renders that player um, less productive than a player who has more athletic ability and makes highlight plays and has better surrounding talent you know so you want to look at those types of things and see where they are because you want to develop a frame of reference so you can have a relationship with the analysis that you're looking at, and that'll help you know when to deviate. Now that's what I try and do with the RSP, is that, you know, I'm not sitting here to telling you that you're gonna win your dynasty draft if you get the RSP. 
You know, I can easily just say that like everybody does and dominate your league. So we say football guys and lots of people, you know, lots of people dominate their leagues because of the information that they get. But the, the real deal is that we want to be a guide. You know, football guys wants to be a guide for you. The RSP, I want it to be a guide for you. I want to teach you by giving you information. I want to give you a resource that lasts longer than just that one season. And I want you to be able to see multiple ways or multiple paths to winning. And you take the path that makes the most sense to you rooted in good information. So hopefully today, this was good information for you in terms of start sits and gives you an idea of where you can begin as a fantasy player to get better at lineup decisions. Thanks for listening. Now I'm going to have some more podcasts with guests and, and um, RSP film rooms. I'm working on the RSP projections um, for the dynasty rankings and projections that will be out no later than mid-June. And I'm working on that right now, so the, uh, the amount of content that I'm putting out is a little bit lower right now as I take a little bit of a break. Um, you know, I'm I'm not an old man, but I'm certainly an old man in this industry, it seems like. And I can tell you sitting at a desk that um, after the amount of time I put in, my body needs to recover a little bit. And I'm trying to do a little physical therapy to uh, work through some issues and, and make sure that I'm in good health for the rest of the season and uh, you know, take good care of myself um, in terms of... Uh, making sure that nothing becomes a serious problem that prohibits me from doing good work. So, um, you know, I'm kind of, I like to take it easy this time of year. It's my off season or a short, it's a, a brief little off season, but that's, it, it's helpful. So, uh, you know, thanks again for listening. And, uh, you know, you can find my work at Mount Waldman, RSP.com, Mount Waldman's RSP film room on YouTube, TikTok, I'm at Mount Waldman RSP got a new TikTok account and I'm kind of putting some things together on there as well and uh, we'll have some scout talk and, and quick game podcasts coming up down you know in the coming months and weeks and months really and uh, have a good week